All right. Yes, we are going to move on with this. Here's the question here. It says in Matthew 18, 23 through 35, Jesus gives us a parable of unforgiveness and says that also will the Father do to us if we do not forgive. Is this legal right for the enemy? No. Uh, actually, what this does is this gives you legal right to get born again or not. Okay? It shows how you get born again. So there is a process of you submitting your will to God to get born again. Uh, it's, that's all included in accepting Jesus and walking in his ways. Right? It's not... Um, and so this has nothing to do with legal right of the enemy doing something like that. It has to do with you being right with God in the sense of getting born again. You have to remember, no, Jesus never talked to a born again person. He never, all of his advice, all that stuff was to unborn again people. Right? Now, that's not that meaning we shouldn't live by it. But see, here's the problem. People think, and this is what I see in so many Christians, <clears throat> is that every day they're trying to make sure that they don't have any unforgiveness, this thing, that thing, all this stuff. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and the problem is people are trying to live a resurrection life without dying. See, you can spend the rest of your life trying to make sure you're forgiving, uh, but that's not biblical, right? And you don't see it mentioned really anywhere else past the Gospels, okay? What you have to realize is that for you to truly be born again, first, you must truly die. So that means you're dead. It's no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. So it's much easier to die <clears throat> and to live in a state where you cannot be offended, than to live in a state where you're constantly trying to forgive. See, I, I, don't, I don't go to that. Now, if I know someone has ought against me, if they something against me, then I try to go to them and I will apologize or something. Even if, it's, even if I feel it's not my fault or something like that, I will go to them. <clears throat> but at the same time, the whole point is that, number one, you can't offend me because anything you do to me, you're not doing to me. And so as soon as you do it toward me, it's just kind of like, whoop, here's... Up to you, Jesus. Here you go. There, that's to you. Uh, no, they don't like you. Well, too bad. If they don't like me, they don't like you. So there you go, because we're, we're connected, right? And personally, I don't get my <clears throat> sense of uh, purpose or even my sense of acceptance, okay, from whether people like me or not. That, that really does not matter. And I don't try to offend. But at the same time, I'm not worried about their accepting me, right? Why? Because I've been accepted in the brethren, in the beloved, the Bible says. And so this is that new man in actuality. This is how it works. <clears throat> because uh, I recognize that God has accepted me, then I don't even think about people rejecting me. I, I, could, I could care less. It makes no difference to me. Why? Because I'm dead. You go to a funeral and you walk up and look in that guy at that, in that casket. You look down at him and you stand there and go, well, you're just as ugly as you ever were. They didn't, matter of fact, you might be uglier. I'm not sure, but you're ugly. You, that, that person, that casket, is not going to even flinch. They're not going to have to hold back. Why? They're dead. So see, it's much easier just to die. See, if you, have to, if you think that you're going to live in forgiveness and, you know, okay, forgive, not forgive, forgive, what's unforgiveness? Have I got any unforgiveness? If you're going to live that way, then when people do spit at you, curse you, call you names, persecute you, you're going to retaliate. Why? Because you're living in the soul realm. And you can't live in the soul realm, right? And if your soul, if your mind has been renewed to the word of God and to the mind of Christ, then you're not going to live in the soul realm. Your spirit's going to be in charge. Your soul is going to submit to your spirit. 
and you're going to live your life in the spirit and you're not going to respond to them. Well, if you're not going to respond to them, what's that called? You're dead. You see, it's not that you don't hear it. It's that you don't let it stick to you. Right. The the Bible talks about not taking offense. Well, just because people give it doesn't mean you got to take it. Right. Right. So I don't you know, you want to cuss me, call me name, say anything. I, I could care less. That's why a lot of the stuff people say, oh, you hear what this person is saying about you? I don't care. I don't care. They're not my judge. I'm not going to stand before them. Right? Uh, what they say about me, they'll stand before God for what they say about me. Why? Because I'm going to stay and keep my accounts with him right. You understand? It's much easier <clears throat> to live dead than it is to try to live in forgiveness and, and, and go by the rules of modern Christianity because the rules change about every week. Right? And you got to find out what the newest fad is to make sure you're keeping up with it. And it's ridiculous, right? The rules have never changed. You're forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That's the easiest life in the world to live. That's why, I, and you know, people, I look at this and it's like, you know, people, if somebody, if somebody tells me they're going to do something, I expect them to do it. Okay, I expect that. If you're going to do it, but, so if you're not going to do it, don't tell me you're going to, because I don't care if you do it or not. But if you tell me you're going to, I expect you to do it, Right? But if you don't do it, guess what? You're not going to let me down. Why? Because I really don't expect anything out of anybody. Right? I don't, I don't expect, you know, I thank God for who God has brought around and all. That's great. But God is my help. Right? And, and, I, and I can tell you, I couldn't do it without the staff we got here. I could not do it. I'm, the staff I've got, they're awesome. And they, they help me to do the vision that God has given me. <clears throat> but my my... Thanks, and I, I, I tell them thanks, probably not near enough, but at the same time, uh, my gratitude mostly goes to God because he's my help, the Bible says, right? The Bible says put no faith in a brother, no trust in a brother. Why? Because they'll let you down. So I don't, I don't care about that. My trust is in God, my faith is in God, and that way I don't get offended and I don't take offense and I, I don't get disappointed, you know? Uh, I, but you know what? The closest I come to getting disappointed is when I see the potential that somebody has and they choose to sell that for some cheap thing. You know, they choose to give it away or not fulfill it or not walk in it. That that's sad to me. That's just so sad. You know, whenever if they would just stay put, if they would just keep moving forward, then they would be able to accomplish some amazing things with God. But instead, they go after the glitter. They go after something else and they get pulled aside. And it's sad to watch it. So, but as far as getting offended, I'm telling you, I live a blessed life. You know, I'm oblivious to a whole lot of stuff. Why? Because I, I don't go checking the stuff out. You know, I don't show up at church members' homes and try to, you know, catch them sinning. You know, you know, I don't walk into their house and go to their fridge or, <clears throat> you know, see what they got in there and you know, see what alcohol they're drinking. I, I don't do that. That's, that's, that's not, that's between them and God. You know, my job is to present every man perfect in Jesus Christ, which means present the word to them help grow them up to the degree that they want to be grown. That's what I do, right? And because of that, I'm able to stay in the Word and, you know, uh, kind, of, kind of head off these, um, some of the distractions that come. And every now and then you, you get caught in a distraction and you're like, ah, how did that happen? They just wasn't paying attention. I just walked right into that and now I'm all distracted and you got to pull yourself back out. And, but it's easy just to live a disciplined life that when your life is blessed, it's easy to stay disciplined. It's real easy. Why? Because it's better. Even people say, well, you know, if this didn't work, if that didn't work, what, would you go back to your old? There's nothing to go back to. I burned my ships. Yeah. Right? I burned them. They're gone. There's nothing to go back to. 
Why? He said, how do you burn your ships? <clears throat> well, one of the ways I did it was I went to the, the bars I used to hang out in. Now, I never drank. I never, I've never tasted alcohol. But I'd hang out in the bars and play pool and all that kind of stuff and made a little money here and there, you know, playing pool and stuff. And, but the way I burned my bridges is I put on a Jesus T-shirt and big cross on it, went in there and preached. Okay? You go in there and preach one time, you probably won't go back. Okay? Uh, just because you'd be making a fool of yourself if you did. Okay? And you sure won't go back in there to play pool. You might go back in there to preach again, but you're not going to go back in there to do that. So you just, you burn your bridges. It's so much, you know why it's so easy for me when somebody, I've had people all my life offer me alcohol. You know how easy it is for me to say no? You know why? Because I made a vow when I was nine and I never broke it. See, if you don't break it, it's easy not to break it. But once you start breaking it, it gets easy to break it. So just set boundaries, set these things and don't set them in a sense of, well, if I don't do this, then God will like me. No, God likes you anyway. You just don't bring, his, bring him as much pleasure as he could. You got it? He loves you. So your discipline doesn't make him love you more. It may make it where you can receive his blessings easier, right? Because I'll tell you this, if you're living in sin, you're spending more money than you should. Why? Because sin costs. Sin ain't free, right? It costs you to get involved in it. It costs you to stay in it. And if you just get out of sin, people say, I need more money. Get out of sin. You'd have more, right? You'd be able to put more in savings or something else. I mean, does that make sense to you? Am I preaching the wrong crowd? Is that not? Okay, so I'm just, because it's just easy to live that life, right? And I'm a blessed person. I'm not, you know, you know it, it's, I enjoy life. You know, I'm not, oh, oh, can't do this, can't do that. I don't think that way. Man, I just walk with God and, and it's fun and I enjoy it. You know, this is not something I force myself to do. It's the easiest thing in the world. I mean, people say, well, isn't that a hard life, the way you live, always on the road and all that kind of stuff? I'm like, you kidding me? Man, I'm gypsy. You know, this is, a bad, this is perfect life for a gypsy, right? This is perfect. You know, I'm traveling, doing all this kind of stuff. And people say, well, isn't it hard? No, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It says that the way of the righteous is blessed. I'm blessed. This isn't hard at all, right? You want to know hard? Let me take you back about 20 years. I can show you hard life. Right? I've been there. That's why I'm so grateful of where I am now. Right? And, and <laughs> I heard a guy, on, I might have already told some of y'all this the other day, but I heard a guy on the radio the other day, he was talking about how, how poor he was. He said, man, I was so poor. He was selling some program to get rich. Right? And it was just a commercial. I think it was on the radio. And he said, I was so poor. I had my electricity turned off nine times. And I, I remember thinking, at least you could keep count. You wasn't poor. Right? When, when you're poor, you can't keep count of the number of times it got cut off. Right? That's poor. Right? So anyway, my, my wife said, don't be going telling people stories. They, they don't need to know those stories. And I'm like, I'm grateful to God. Right? Thank God I ain't what I was. Amen? My mother-in-law is glad I'm not what I was. My, my family is glad I'm not what I was. You know? Uh, you know, police departments are glad I'm not what I was. I mean, everybody's just happy. Amen? Just, <laughs> so, all right, let's get back in the manual here. Isaiah 53, I'm just going to show these things. These are things, again, that you can study out, right? And it's things that you could spend a long time doing. So we're not going to go into them to the point where, uh, you know, you end up knowing Greek and Hebrew when we're done. Uh, we've already put the uh, students through that, so uh, we won't put them through it again. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but notice here in verse 4. Well, I might as well just read it. It's, it's actually a short chapter. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, two things. You can underline arm of the Lord. Every time you see the word, the words or term arm of the Lord in the Bible, it has to do with his strength, his power, 
some type of power displayed every time. <clears throat> now, notice it says, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord, the power of God revealed? Well, he answered his own question. You want to know to whom the arm of the Lord or the power of God is revealed? It's to those who has believed his report. That's how you get the arm of the Lord revealed to you, is you believe his report. I have people all the time ask me, would you pray and agree that the doctor's report will come back good? No, I will not. They say, why not? Don't you want it to come back good? I don't care if it comes back good. Right? You need to make a decision. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe theirs? Or are you going to believe God's? That's really what it comes down to. And I've had people say, well, but, you know, I, if I, but if I believe the doctor's report, then maybe he can fix it. Well, you better hope so. Right? And people go into these things, and I tell them, I'm not going to pray that your doctor's report will come back good. I'll pray that you be healed. Right? I, I will minister life to you. We can do that. But I'm not going to ask the doctor to agree. You're going to have to make a decision what you're going to believe. Because right? I've known, I could give you half a, well, at least half a dozen stories off the top of my head of people who got bad reports from doctors, <clears throat> got ministered to, went through with the surgery that the doctors wanted to do, and when they did the biopsy afterwards, found that there was no disease in the tissue that they had removed. They were healed, and yet the test all showed that they were still sick, still had the cancer. In most cases, it was cancer. One lady that I know particular, <clears throat> was, uh, the, the doctor said, we, we're pretty sure you have breast cancer. And she came to me just nervous wreck. And I understand, because it's a, it's a scary thing to hear. It just hits you automatically, and there's a fear thing that comes with it. With the spirit of cancer comes the spirit of fear. They work together, and so you have to deal with that stuff. Well, I told her, I said, well, let's, let's pray. So we prayed, ministered to her, and then <clears throat> she went on, didn't hear from her for about uh, a year, a little over a year. And then the next time I was in that area, uh, she came to me and uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, I went through with the surgery because the reports all came back the same, so I went through the surgery. And, and, and so they I had a double mastectomy, and then whenever they did the, the biopsy and stuff at the, the labs, they couldn't find any cancer. See, fear caused her to do that because she believed the report of man rather than the report of God. My own mother had been diagnosed with cancer twice in her life, and both times the reports Every time she got tested, the report said she had cancer. And then, <clears throat> but uh, one time it was particularly a tumor that you could feel. And she went in there and the doctors took the test and the test said that there was cancer. And, but yet, while she was on the, on the gurney thing getting ready to go into surgery, she was praying. She said, God, I don't understand this. You healed me last time. I don't understand why this tumor is still there. It should not still be there. You said I'm healed. So that's what I believe. I, I do not agree with this. And yet she was still going through the stuff. And yet she, she said, do the test one more time. And the doctor came in and actually uh, <clears throat> tested her, you know, felt of her and to, to see. And he said, you're right, I, I, I don't see any tumor. And he said, well, let's take another test. He took another test, ran a test, and the tumor showed up on the x-ray. But you could, he couldn't feel it. And he said, I'm not going to do any surgery until we figure this out. And then my mom went home and finally uh, he did several other uh, blood test stuff and said, you don't have cancer. He said, I, I don't know what the x-ray was showing. He said, I don't know what that tumor, it looked like a tumor. I don't know what it was because there is nothing there. We couldn't find it. We couldn't feel it. And there was nothing in your blood. Now, if she'd have went by the x-ray, she'd have had surgery. So there comes a point where you have to realize those machines are not infallible. God is. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not telling you what to do or what not to do. All I'm saying is people are so quick to move. 
so quick to jump on these things. Sometimes, and I hate to say it this way, but sometimes, you know, you just need to give God time to work. Amen? Now, it should be instant, but too often we're too quick to just jump. So, all right, let's look at this. Verse 2, For he, Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And this gives you a good idea of what Jesus looked like. It gives you a good idea of, uh, of, of how, he, um, how people responded to him. Put it that way. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. Surely, absolutely, without a doubt, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, the word born and carried, you'll see in the, the words right after that in parentheses, those are the Hebrew words. And they both mean, they are, they are technically synonyms. They both mean exactly the same thing, right? <clears throat> they both mean for, for one to carry as a punishment for another so that the other person will not have to carry it for themselves. Literally, that's the definition, right? Now, get this. <clears throat> this is the amazing thing. Now, this is where I was talking about earlier where he, uh, this is the verse that is quoted in Matthew chapter 8 where he said, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. Right? Now, when you see that, that's what he's referring to. So when he says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried as a punishment our sicknesses for us so that we don't have to, and carried our sorrows or carried as a punishment so we don't have to our diseases. Okay? That's what he's saying. He says, and, and the amazing thing is this. Now, if you read this, here he's all talking about the physical healing. He says, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But, now watch this. Now watch this, watch this wording. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Now note, notice these words, he and our. Every time it says, he did it for our. Every time, it's substitution. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So you see that substitution all the way through. And with his stripes, we are healed. So every time it's him and us, him and us, him and us. Do you get that? Everything he did, he did for us, so we don't have to. Now, here's the thing. If you go all the way down, I'll read the rest of it and then we'll come back, but I, I want to get to this point rather quickly. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison, and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall pro prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear... If you'll notice there, there's that word sabal. That's the same word that was translated carried up in verse 4. You see that? Same word. <clears throat> Only there it's translated bear instead of carried. What does that mean? That means he bore it for us as a punishment so that we do not have to bear it ourselves. Remember that? For he shall bear as a punishment for us their iniquities. So now, now he's using the same words for our salvation from sin and iniquity as he used up in verse 4 concerning our physical healing. Do you see that? So now notice he goes on. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Remember that. Because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare, and then notice that's the same word used in verse 4, as born, Nassau, he, for, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now notice, verse 11 and 12 use the exact same words that are used up in verse 4. So whatever, and we know that verse 11 and 12 are referring to his bearing our sins and our iniquities as a punishment for us so that we don't bear them. Is that true? So he bore those away from us so that we, ne we never again have to walk in sin, right? We never again have to bear the brunt of the penalty of sin because he bore that for us, correct? Now, <clears throat> here in verse 11 and 12, he uses the same words that he used up in verse 4, like I said. And the purpose of that is this. Now, here's what I want you to get. There's a couple of points here. Number one, whatever he did with our sin and iniquities... According to the words used, he did with our sicknesses and diseases. You got that? Whatever he did with our sins and iniquities, he did with our sicknesses and our infirmities, our diseases. So either he saved us from them and we do not have to bear them. Okay. Either he saved us from our sin and our sickness and we no longer have to bear them, or if he did not save us from our sicknesses, then we're not saved from our sins. Because the same words are used in both places. Whatever he did with one, he did with the other. There is no, no grammatical reason, why, and no theological reason either actually, but there is no reason why anybody should decide that verse 11 and 12 is true, and verse 4 isn't. You see that? Yep. But yet you have entire denominations who have decided to forget all his benefits right, and only decide that only verse 11 and 12. Now, if you're going to pick a verse to believe, okay, it's good to have sins forgiven, right? But if you're going to just pick a verse, if you're just going to read down and pick a verse, you ought to pick the first verse you read, and that would have to do with healing, right? Do you understand what I mean by that? If you're just going to read through it, but now watch what he says. People say, well, if that's true, how come we still get sick? How come we don't see healing all the time? Okay, let's, I'll tell you the answer right now. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he 
shall divide the spoil with the strong. Well, there's your answer. You want to know why you haven't experienced the, the healing sometimes that we've been promised? It's because he, he divides the spoil. What is the spoil? The spoil of this is what he took back from the enemy. So whenever he bore these from us and we don't have to be sick and we don't have to walk in sin anymore, but the enemy brings those things on. So what he has provided for us is freedom from that. Well, that freedom is the spoil. Who does he divide the spoil with? The strong. Not, not the people that sit around and say, why is this happening to me? Why, is this, why didn't God do something? No, they're strong. Okay, here's what the Bible says. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro upon the face of the earth, seeking those in whom he may show himself strong. How do you, show your, how do you allow him to show himself strong? You believe his report. When you believe his report, he is able. Now this, you say, well, but I'm, Paul said, you know, when he was weak, that's when he was strong because it was in his weakness that God was able to show his strength. What does that mean? All, he, all Paul was saying was, look, I don't count myself. I don't look at myself and say, I can do this. I recognize I can't. And so I glory in the fact that he is in me and it's in his strength, right? Be strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of his might, his strength is what it says. Kratos, it's a strength and power. See, we're to be strong in his strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You hear that? So who, who does he divide the spoil with? The strong. Who are the strong? The ones that let Christ strengthen them so that they hold to, obey his word, believe his report. And those are the ones that see the arm of the Lord, the power of God displayed. Now, all of that is right there in Isaiah 53. We don't have to go anywhere else to see it. And we've already taken you to Matthew 8 and 1 Peter 2. But it's right there for everybody to see. And yet this is the thing that so many uh, so-called theologians have argued with. And yet it is right there in the grammar of the text itself. Right? So, you know, if you want proof, there it is. I mean, it's right there. And then there's more. I mean, we could go on even further. <clears throat> but on page 83, it says... To say that God is using the sickness or disease to teach you something is to say that the sickness is the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of infirmity. Why? Because he said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will teach you, he will lead you, he will guide you into all truth. So if you're saying that sickness or disease is God is using that to teach you something. Now, understand, you can learn something. But it's one thing for you to learn something. It's another thing to say God is using that to teach you. Right? I mean, you can, you can learn, you know, not to hold a nail wrong when you hit your hand by, because of how you held it. Right? But you don't turn around and go, well, God's trying to teach me how to hold a nail. No, you can learn from it, but God didn't want you to smash your hand. Right? And I've heard people say, well, but no, you don't understand, though. Uh, God, you know, I finally got a hold of God whenever I, you know, whenever he got me flat on my back because of my heart attack. That's whenever, you know, God has a way of getting, getting your attention. Right? It wasn't that God got your attention. It was your heart attack. Right? And people try to say that. Well, God's doing And I've heard people say, well, you know, God, you know, if you don't pay your tithes, God has a way of getting them. You know, cars break down. Things happen. You, you know, you can pay God or you can pay the doctor. You know? It's like, man, that is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if that's true, if I tithe or give in offerings to, to, to 
keep sickness or disease from then that makes God like this, this, this the mafia. I'm, 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 you know, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is blackmail money. I mean, this is extortion, you know. Hey, you pay me off. I won't, I won't visit you with some catastrophe, you know. You know, but, but if you don't pay me, you know, I mean, you just picture God standing there, you know, telling you, you know, can you going to pay me or, you know, forget about it, you know. No, that's, that's not God, okay. Yes, it, it's, remember, it's God the Father, not Godfather, like he said, amen. So, okay, okay, so we got to realize, right, we have a good father, okay, not a good fellow. See, we can go on all day with this. We have a good father, okay, so well, we have to realize all these things that people say about God, we have this idea of him and we have to change our whole thinking because that's not his way of thinking. Amen. And he said that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. So when you start saying, well, God's using that to teach me, you're saying, oh, well, now you're saying that the Holy Spirit is that sickness or you're saying that, that, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of infirmity or whatever it is. Do you realize how close that is <clears throat> to what the Pharisees said about Jesus? Remember what they said about him? Jesus, they told him, well, you're casting out devils by the devil. You're doing this by the devil. And Jesus said, you better be careful. He said, all kinds of sin will be forgiven, but you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, it won't be forgiven you. Not in this life or the life to come. That's pretty heavy stuff, right? <clears throat> and notice what they were saying. They were attributing to the devil the works of God. Well, what do you think Christians do when they say, well, God's using that sickness to, to teach me. What are you doing? You're attributing to God the works of the devil. It's just the opposite. But it's the same heart. It's the same attitude. And it's just as bad. Right? That's why, you realize whenever he said, in the, one in Psalm 78 is one of them. But he said, whenever they were out in the wilderness and they tempted me all these years, he said, I showed them all these mighty signs, showed them all these miracles, and, and they, they were hard-hearted and stiff-necked, and they tempted me. And he kept saying that. And you go back and read you know how they tempted him? You know, and he, he said he opened up the earth and swallowed them up. And you know how they did? You know what, what horrible thing they did to tempt him? They said, God, why did you bring us out here to die? Now think about that. And God said, he said, you're tempting me. You're, 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 you're accusing me of these things. You're saying, why did I bring you out? As if I brought you out here to die. And that was all they said. Why, why did you bring us out here to die? Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? And he said, they tempted me. This stiff-necked, hard-hearted people tempted me. And he said, and that's when they stayed in the wilderness. And now, how much, how much worse is it to say, why'd you bring us out here to die? As it is to say, God, why'd you let this happen? Isn't it the same thing? And yet we look at them and go, man, those Israelites, oh, man, they were idiots. They had, you know, fire by day and, you know, pillar of fire by night or by day and all and the smoke by day and all that. Going all this stuff and you got these things happening. The Red Sea opened up and, you know, manna falling from heaven and, you know, pheasant falling down. And come on. They saw all these miracles and they still don't believe. Yeah, well, what have you seen? You know, look at what God has done in your life. And yet we still look back and go, well, I can't believe that God would let this happen to me. Well, what has he done for you? Look at what he's done in the past. See, you have to remember what he's done in the past. That's why Psalm 78 is there. He said, we wrote this. Why? So that they could tell their children, their children's children. Why? So they wouldn't grow up to be a hard-hearted people like their fathers before them. You know what happened to us here in America? We had, back in the late 40s, early 50s, even into the early 60s, we had a massive move of God called the Voice of Healing. We had the Jack Coe, A. Allen, William Branham. 
Oral Roberts, all these guys going all over the country and almost every night or at least one night out of the week, they were on our television sets coming in and showing the healings and showing the, the meetings going on and the preaching and then, I mean, live, right? I mean, you could see it right there. Healings taking place, amazing things taking place. And instead of the, the, the church grabbing a hold of it, most of the denominations, even the spiritual ones, kicked them all out because they didn't like the way they did things. And, and they didn't grab a hold of it and go, yeah, this is truth. We want to move forward. And because of that, immediately afterwards, you know what we had? We had the British invasion. We had rock and roll music start. We had all that stuff and started in you know, Memphis, depending on who you believe. Either came from England or started in Memphis, right? But either way, it was God was trying to get the people. He, it was a call to righteousness. And instead, the people turned to rebellion. The heart of the 60s was rebellion. And we had been given this amazing opportunity to grab hold of truth and power and show it to our children. And instead, all we did was badmouth it and talk about it. And, you know, well, I bet he's fake. I bet those people ain't even really in a wheelchair. I bet they're all, he probably paid them off. I've heard that from other people and different people say things. You know how stupid that would be for a preacher to pay somebody to get out of a wheelchair. You know what that means? He's going to be paying them the rest of his life. Because the minute he stops, they're going to tell. And it wouldn't be worth it to pay to get somebody out of a wheelchair. I was in uh, New York one time, and there was a, we, we started this meeting. I've already told our DBI students and some of the other people about it. <clears throat> but I was in this meeting. We just started. I mean, first day, first thing. I get up. I'm on a platform about six foot high. And I'm up there, and I'm preaching. And there's, a, there's tables all around, and there's an open floor. And I start, and I just open with prayer. And I don't always open with prayer. I did that day. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. But I started praying. I had my eyes closed. And I know now why he says watch and pray because you need to watch while you're praying sometimes some of the stuff going on. And I'm praying. And right in the middle of it, this lady had gotten up, moved to the middle of the open floor and started screaming. I hate you. I hate you. You shouldn't be. I'm just going off on me. And I'm, I'm you know, you're in the middle of prayer. People are supposed to be respectful. You know? And I open my eyes and I'm looking and you have that split second. It's kind of like, what did I do to you? You know, I don't even know you. Have we ever even met? You know, and then you realize, oh, it's a devil. That's what it is. It's a devil. Have to have a devil to hate me. Anyway, so I'm standing there looking at her. <laughs> so and I'm standing there for a second and I'm, you have that split second where you don't know what to do. So you're, you're kind of trying to figure it out. But yet at the same time, you don't have time to really think it through. And I remember uh, William Branham and actually a couple of other people that had people like that approach him. And one guy came up with a gun and was pointing at him. And William Branham said, no, you'll bow your knee. And I was replaying. In a split second, I'm replaying all that in my head. And this woman's screaming. And so finally she stopped. And I said, you, you done? That all you got? And she stops. And I jump down off the platform and walk over to her. And she's standing. We look at each other face to face. And she starts so it's like somebody poured water on her. I mean, literally, water started pouring off of her. I've never seen, it, it couldn't have been just sweat. I've never seen anybody sweat like that. It was like water pouring. And I'll never forget it because, you know, I've been around meetings. I've been in things, you know, where they yell and scream and the person falls down and they take their Bible and throw their Bible on them and, you know, trying to keep the devil down. So I, 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 don't, I don't know how that works, but, but I've been there and I've seen that stuff, all right? And... I'm standing there and I'm trying to figure out, you know, kind of what to do. And it just starts coming out and everything's really calm and peaceful. And all of a sudden, it, it, she, this woman was just standing there 
And, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, you will bow your knee to the name of Jesus. You will bow your knee to the name of Jesus. And this woman just kind of stands there. And after just a, seemed like a long time, but it had to be just a couple of minutes. And all of a sudden she just drops to her knees, bam, on the floor. And sits there. And I look at her and it's a strange thing. I've never done this before. I've never done it since. And I stood there and I took two fingers. And I said, in the name of, I, I said, by the finger of God, I set you free. And just, boop, touch her. And Bam, she was instantly free. No manifestations, nothing. Just all of a sudden, she's awake. She's there. She gets up. She didn't even know where she was at. She goes back to the table, and we're, it's time to take a break, right? It's like, well, I mean, we hadn't even got through the first prayer. And it's like, okay. And so I go back. And I said, all right, we're going to take a quick break, you know? And so I went over to the book table. I'm like, wow, okay, this is, you know, this was different. Never had that happen before. And by the time this woman, real uh, well-dressed young black lady, come over to it, and she she go, I said, she said, can I talk to you? I said, yes, ma'am, sure. What can we do for you? I've been in a lot of meetings, been in a lot of churches. I've seen devils cast out. I've seen people yell, scream, do other things, and I was waiting to see how you responded. And if you would have responded by screaming and yelling, I was out of here because I've I've been there, done that. I was out of here. I was, I was done with that. And she said, I've never seen devils cast out by the love of God before. And she said, I, I'm here. Whatever you got to say, I'm here. And, and I, I'm looking, I'm like, you're the reason. <laughs> you know, you know, that's what I'm thinking. You, know, you, God did this for you. you know, so, so, <laughs> so, but, and then I talked to the lady that came with the woman that was screaming. And I, when I started talking to her, and she goes, you know, I knew something was wrong. I knew she started acting. We'd talk about coming to this meeting. Everything was fine. I started to pick her up today, and she acted strange. It was quiet. She sat down over there, never said a word, was very quiet. All these things. And I said, well, she wasn't quiet when she got up in the middle of the floor. And she goes, yeah. And she started doing it. The woman didn't even know where she was. Didn't even remember having been picked up. Nothing. And, but we got her free. That It was the easiest, simplest thing. Now, here's the, the sad part. Okay. Woman got free. Everything's good. We went to lunch. And we come back, they, some people come to me and said, um, people think, and they're asking questions about that deliverance is what they call it. I said, okay, what, what's, what's the question? It was too easy. They think it was staged. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, well, they think it was staged because it was too easy. They'd never seen it that easy before. And I'm like, really, you think it's staged because it's easy. That's the way it's supposed to be, Right. That's the real, right? That's not the screaming, hollering, going on for two hours, everybody gathering around and, you know, some yelling, hold on, hold on, the others yelling, let go, let go. You know, I mean, you have all the different things going on. And so, and so whenever I got up, I went back to the platform and I, I went after them. I mean, forget teaching what I was supposed to teach. I just went after them. I'm like, now you think this was, because it's too easy, you think it was fake? And then I went through the whole thing. If, if that was fake, that would be the stupidest thing is to convince somebody or pay somebody to do this because you'd find out it would be, you know, noised abroad and it would be the end of the ministry. And I said, besides, if it's not real, I don't want to be a part of it. You know, I could have made a living doing something else. I was doing okay at times, you know, at times. <laughs> <That's what> I'm <laughs> Remember, more than nine tons of my electricity got off. But there were times, there were times that it was good, okay? <laughs> so, make a note, don't let my wife hear this session. Okay, so I have to edit this one. No, but we need to realize it should be easy, right? And but we didn't take advantage of it. And because of that, the United States went the direction it went. 
because the churches would not rise to who we're supposed to be and present the truth and present scripture with power. And it's time that the churches arise and be who we're supposed to be. Yes. Amen? Amen. Now, real quick, I'm going to try to see if I can get this done here. Uh, go with me. I'll give you this one. Yeah. Go with me to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Actually, you know what? Yeah. We better go ahead and stop because it's already 5 o'clock. Uh, save your place tomorrow. We'll start there at Romans 8 tomorrow morning. And we'll take you from there because I don't want to get started because once I get started on this, it may take 30, 45 minutes or so. So we'll just hold off for tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's on a good day. Okay, so, so, all right. so Father, we thank you. Your word is true. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for understanding and revelation and wisdom and righteousness. Father, we just thank you. We bless you. And we thank you now, Father, that the words that's gone forth, the words that have come by, by way of your spirit, we say now let these words abide in the people as barbed arrows in their minds that cannot be removed until they act upon them. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. We bless them. So be it. Amen. Amen. Amen.